Screen West Screen with Paul and Kevin, where if films were food, they'd be full of it. and welcome back to yet another episode of East Screen, West Screen. This is episode 54 for Tuesday, February 1st, 2011. It's just before Chinese New Year, and as usual, I am Paul Fox, and joining me, waiting for anxiously for red packets somewhere in the Fragrant Harbor, is my good friend and co-host, Mr. Kevin Ma. Hi, everybody. Uh, Paul, you're going to be the first one to give me a uh, red packet, right? Uh, I don't know if I'll be the first one. Uh, I'm not sure uh, when I'll be seeing you, but I will be seeing you, and you will be getting one. Rest oh, well. Uh, and, uh, and that w- makes me want to see you, yes. Yeah, it will not contain coal, I promise. <laughs> Thank C- you, Paul. Because you've been a good boy this year. Uh, working hard, except on your blog, right? <laughs> well, that's, that's Coles' problem. Don't worry. Not yeah. yours. <laughs> um, so, yeah, Chinese New Year. Are you excited? Uh yeah, I mean I always um look forward to Chinese New Year, not because of red packets, because uh, uh I, you know, in thirteen years in the States, fourteen years, I didn't really um get that, you know, fit- festivities, the the feeling of the festival. But uh being back in Hong Kong in the last three years, I've kinda gotten, you know, back into the groove and it's always fun to see the city in uh in in uh Chinese New Year. Yeah. It gets a bit exhausting though, I can say, because as somebody who you know, celebrates Christmas, and then within a month you've got this other holiday. Uh, it's it's kind of tiring, you know. I, I I know a lot of people here, a lot of locals here, don't go in all out for Christmas. Uh, mm-hmm. But being that we're you know we're starting sort of a mixed family here where we do both, um, yeah, kind of kind of exhausted. Yeah, I I don't really follow the traditions of neither, so I just kind of sit back and and watch everyone having fun. Um, and you just, that's how you I just sit back and let the presents and the money come in. I know you. <laughs> you know it. All right. Well, we are not here to talk about Chinese New Year all that much. Although we are going to be talking about some Chinese New Year films in this episode and in uh, coming episodes. Uh, so we'll be. Uh, looking forward to talking about those things, but for now, let's get on to some current news. All right, let's talk about some news from the East. Up first, uh, The Killer is going to be remade uh, by Korea, is that correct? Yeah, um, well, actually, John Woo's uh, company is, again, they're producing it, just like they did with the uh, A Better Tomorrow remake. Um I would say it's Korea, but it's actually more international productions. Uh, there will be a Korean star, Jung Woo Sung, who was in uh, Reign of Assassins, uh, also a John Woo production. Um, and the director, John H. Lee, who is actually a Korean-American um, director, he's made films in English and in Korean and also Japanese. Um, so he'll be handling this English language remake, actually, of The oh, Killer. So this is going to be in English. 
Yes, uh, actually, it will take place, I think, in, in L.A. According to this uh, plot synopsis given in the uh, press statement, um, it is the detective will be a LAPD detective. So it will take place in L.A. Hmm. I'm surprised they didn't get Nicolas Cage then. Yeah, that, <laughs> I, I, I mean, we dro- I heard once um, that the uh, one of the remake ideas was going to be uh, Denzel Washington and Richard Gere with Richard Gere uh, as the uh, detective or no, as the killer. Um, so I mean, I'm sure this remake's been been boiling for years, but finally, it's it's nice to see John Woo, I guess, finally making it happen. And if anyone could remake his own movie, uh, John Woo movies, it would be John Woo. Hmm. Yeah, interesting. Um, yeah. I, I couldn't see Richard Gere doing it. He's a Buddhist. <clears throat> I, I couldn't see Richard Gere as Charon Fat. I'm sorry, just not as <laughs> not as cool. Yeah. Nowhere near as cool. Um, but as for the um, director, actually, John H. Lee. Um, he's a Korean American. As I said, he's a Korean American director. He made um, a tearjerker named "A Moment to Remember," which I guess many uh, Korean film fans would know about. Uh, he last made a, a war film, actually a Korean war film called Seven One Into the Fire." And him having been educated in the states, I think he went to NYU. He his movies, even though they're all kind of Asian melodramas, his, his movies all kind of this strange Hollywood style polish, which kind of makes me opti- more optimistic that he, he's being chosen for this remake. Hmm. Yeah. Um, I think it could be something interesting. I, I'm not saying it's going to be good. Um, again, it's you know an Asian actor who might not speak a lot of English. And for some reason, the detective, um, I keep seeing Michael Rooker in my head. You know, It's like the replacement killers hmm. over again. Um, I don't know. What are your thoughts, Paul? Do you how, well, how- I mean, I know it's got the John Woo seal of approval. But then again... Um, you know, we had Hard Target with Van Damme, which kind of also had the John Woo seal of approval, which was an, a, a decent film for its day, but given the material that it was heavily borrowing from, hard boiled, um, yeah, it it was it was not not even close. Mm-hmm. Um, I you know, for remakes, and I haven't seen I haven't seen to be fair I haven't seen the better tomorrow remake yet um but as i was saying to some others i'd rather go back and watch the original i mean oh yeah you're not going to have the dynamic obviously of of you know leslie chang leslie chang and and chai and fat and those guys and this is like a especially in western from you know a lot for a lot of western fans the killer is like a pinnacle chai and fat movie um Mm -hmm. for some even more so than hard-boiled so I don't know. It's it just. I mean, I mean, Chalian Fett's still alive and kicking. You know, <laughs> why not just remake it with him? Uh, Seems I, too expensive. Yeah, it's I just. I, I don't see the need for it. Um, yeah, I, I. I was tweeting earlier today. I said, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, something to the effect is like, if they're going to do do a remake, why not do a remake of the Fun, the Luck, and the Tycoon, which is already a remake of, uh, you know, the Eddie Murphy movie Coming to American coming to america so it'd be a remake of a remake and <laughs> you know let's see what they would do with that uh but i don't you know i i mean uh, i'm kind of interested but I, a, a bigger part of me would say yeah let me just get the killer on blu-ray and, <laughs> and watch it you know all right next bit of news something about tvb yeah um well tvb has its own apart from its pretty air networks they also have a um, 
a broadband television, uh, I think it's broadband, uh, called TVB Payvision. It's kind of like their cable network, I guess, a, a set of cable networks. Uh, so they'll have they carry things like CNN and, and, Amer- and foreign channels, but they also have their own lineup of side channels, like for TV dramas and for um, cooking shows and uh, music and so on and so forth. Um, they've just recently launched um, a movie channel on that on that uh, group of channels. Um, so TVB Pay Vision is also actually on the television, broadband television service I use now that is not TVB. And uh, I recently got to check out this channel uh, for this past week. Um, they're going to be showing all the, of course, all the new TVB Shaw movies, but they've also gotten a pretty interesting catalog. Uh, the other day I saw Love on a Diet, uh, Lost and Found, um, a lot of Media Asia stuff, uh, of course, some, some even 80s classics. Uh, pretty interesting group of films. Um, so how do you feel about another local movie channel, Paul? Another paid movie, lo- uh, paid movie channel here in Hong Kong? Uh, you know, I mean, I have, uh, what is it, the Now Broadband TV. Right. I had the, st- I, ha- I have the Star Movie Channel. I never watch it. <laughs> never watch it. Um, if, I, if I watch anything on there, it's, you know, Discovery Channel stuff. So, I mean, for movies, I just, yeah, my library's got everything I, that they end up showing, so. I think that's kind of a new competition to the mix, um, because obviously now they'll get all the TVB Shaw stuff, but will TVB Movie Channel also get exclusive rights to certain movies, and that might hurt the business of, yeah. uh, I mean, I think, I, or two channels. If they get exist. exclusives, you know, I could see the competition, but it's such a small market. I mean, is this going overseas at all? Is this getting, you know, any play in mainland China or in Canada or, uh, the UK or anywhere else where they've got some of these, um, channels playing abroad? Not likely. I think it's only Hong Kong. And actually, even then, there's some market. Because I remember I interviewed uh, Wang Jing last year, and he actually said that he produced some low-budget local movies because these movie channels need content. So sometimes you see these, if you see these low kind of low-budget Hong Kong films that come off nowhere um, with you know second-tier, third-tier stars, it might be because they're made for actually a television uh, or television movie channels. Yeah, that. That's a good excuse for Wang Jing to use. <laughs> um, I'm making th- low-budget movies because these local TV stations need content. Yeah, they asked me to do it, so I got to do it. I cannot do it. No, um, actually, also a good thing for some of these, uh, for some of us, I guess, um, is that these movies do sometimes come in English subtitles. So sometimes you might, you know, see a 90s movie that, you know, that might be out of print, and it's on these movie channels, just sit back and watch. Yeah. Sadly, um... The TVB movie channel, um, at least some of the newer stuff, I saw 72 Tens of Prosperity the other night. Uh, I think they had their own set of subtitles, so it's only Chinese. Even though um, I think Star Movie Channel, Star Chinese Movie Channel, still mostly have English subtitles on their prints. I'd be, I'd be a lot more excited if this were being done at the same time in a sort of a online format. Mm-hmm. You know, where people abroad could access it, you could get a membership or something, and sort of like a you know a Netflix, but international. I think it'd be a lot more exciting. The Hong Kong market's too small to support all these channels, and, and you know, again, if they're gonna be showing stuff like Love on a Diet, I mean, the Star Movie Channel shows that too. I mean, there's not. It's gonna come down to, you know, what are they getting exclusives of, and how many films are being put out every year? Not, 
a whole lot, so there's not going to be that many exclusives. Mm-hmm. You know, unless they start doing something like the Sci-Fi Channel does in the states, where they start producing stuff specifically for release on the channel, eh, then you might, you know, g- generate some interest. Um, otherwise, you might as well just throw on, you know, the Jade and the Pearl in a 24-hour loop, right? Because <laughs> They've got that. They've got the you know seventy two tenants of prosperity and the film we're going to talk about today, and that's about it. Yeah, they also got Perfect Wedding. I think. Uh, oh, Laughing Gore. Yeah, Laughing Gore. So, so that's about Turning Point. That's about five movies. Yeah. So maybe this might um, this might help again launch the TVB Shaw uh, production label. I guess it might lead to making more films. But like you said, unless unless Hong Kong starts figuring out how to do online content beyond geographical borders um, and finding some other way to justify the existence of his channel. Um, I'm not sure how, how, how much good it's going to do for our, our listeners or even for you and me. All right. Let's take a quick journey to the West and talk about some of the top news stories of uh, Western films last week. Um, first up, the news that uh, an actor has been cast for the Super Superman, I guess, I don't know, I guess this is a reboot. Um, Henry Cavill, um, who's known for, I guess, a role on the Tudors, British BBC TV series, is it? He will be taking up the role of Superman slash Clark Kent. Um, yes. I mean, this has been pretty big news circulating through geekdom on the internet. Um, I had some Twitter sessions with various people about this. I wasn't too happy about it um, for a couple reasons. I, I I don't know Henry Cavill's work that well. I mean, pictures I've seen, sure, he looks like the part. But I would have preferred to have the continuity continue on with Brandon Roth. I thought he was okay in the last one. Um, my big fear is that they're going to bring in a new character and we're going to go through a whole new origin set up again, um, which I don't want to see. Uh, you know, the, the, I like Superman, but I don't want to see, you know, another Superman st- or origin story. Um, I don't even want to see another Superman versus Lex Luthor story because we've seen so many of those. I was telling uh, a friend online, what I really want to see is a meat and potatoes smackdown which we really haven't seen since Superman 2, you know? I mean, I want to see a big-name villain, a doomsday, or, um, uh, you know, uh, Bizarro, or somebody who's physically Superman's equal to come in, and for them to have a, you know, a big smackdown drag-out fight, not, oh, here's Lex Luthor, and he's got another piece of kryptonite, and Superman's weak, and what's he going to do? Because that's been sort of the redundant, recurring thing in, in... um, and you've just got so so much Superman out there now. You've got the the TV series Smallville. Um, that's sort of going off in its own direction. Um, I just don't want to see this sto- the, the 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 origin story again. I don't know. What do you think about this, Kevin? Are you you, you interested in another Superman? Um, I haven't been a big Superman fan. I did see Superman Returns, but um, honestly, the fact that it kind of just became a sequel rather than kind of introduction um i didn't feel it was the right direction um it was a little too mild for me it didn't really excite me to to want to keep watching uh more superman movies um and 
I've never really been a big fan of Zack Snyder. I even I know I know Christopher Nolan is is behind this. He's a producer, also came up with the story, but just not very exciting to me yet. I'm not sure if Zack Snyder, the guy who directed, you know, two really hard rated R comic comic style films, is ready to take on something as, you know, family friendly or is it something like a tentpole like uh, Superman? Mm. Um he's such a style over substance director that I'm not sure if if he's going to be able to handle the material, nor you know, I've I just looked at a picture of Henry Cavill and um, he looks okay for part, but again, just I just can't get myself to be excited about this project. All right, moving on. Our next bit of news is the King speechless. Um, this is a bit of news that came out earlier last week. I think it started circulating, and I saw some people, and I think you tweeted about it. Yeah, um, briefly. The King's Speech, people are saying it's going to be re-edited down to a PG-13 version. They're going to cut out some of the uh, foul language because now that it's up for Oscar contention, they want to get more people to see it, younger people. Um, What the heck? I mean, uh, you know, just because something's up for an Oscar and you decide you're going to, you know, you're going to take a knife to it, that's like waiting for wait till it gets put on tv to do that you don't do that now um i don't know are you okay with this no 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 and no i mean who else could be doing this other than uh harvey weinstein himself the man who has cut various asian films uh including hong kong films to bits uh for american consumption um of course part of this is because of the mpaa um Apparently, more than two F words is an automatic automatic R, and that's why the King's Speech got the rated R. Um, otherwise, the film apparently doesn't have much objectionable content. Um, so that's part of the blame. But I don't think a, a rated R is going to stop people from watching the film. I mean, it's an adult-oriented drama uh, about a British British monarch. Uh, I don't think putting a PG-13 is going to to be getting the Spring Breakers uh, into the theaters and and watch you know watching this movie. So I don't know why they're even thinking about it. Um, I hope that uh, Harvey Weinstein just being sarcastic or he was joking. Um, but honestly, I'm not surprised by what he wanted to do. Yeah, I mean, I think that's kind of lame. Oh, it is. When oh, it hits it when it hits TV, I mean, they're gonna be. You know, they'll they'll just do a redub anyway. You know, it'll be fudge, 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 fudge. Or, you know, the updated Battlestar Galactica version, frack, 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 or something. But, I mean, come on. I mean, th- th- this is unnecessary. Let people see it the way it was intended to be seen. Um, and then wait until it gets on regular TV to do that kind of stuff. Yeah, again, this is not the right movie to have to re-edit. Um, it's just... No matter how many Oscar nominations it has, it's not going to get your young crowd into the film. It, this is not a film that was made to attract a young audience. I mean, just leave it be, you know, let it be what it is. Yeah. Maybe you'll leave the kids out, and then, you know, maybe some of the adults can have a good time to movies. Not that adults can behave any better in movies, but I'm just saying. Or he could be really cheap, and he could make him say Facebook, 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 <laughs> Facebook, Facebook. Or the, uh, the, the classic uh, Die Hard dub, uh, uh, Falcon, 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 Falcon. <laughs> uh, all right, that's enough for news for this week. Let's talk about movies. First, for our East Screen film this week, 
the Chinese New Year film, I Love Hong Kong. Um, well, Kevin, do you love Hong Kong? And did you love this film? Why don't you tell us a little bit about it? Sure. Uh, I love Hong Kong. I don't love TVB. But um, I'm somewhere in between with this one. Uh, I Love Hong Kong is the latest production from the TVB uh, Shaw Brothers um, partnership, so to speak. I believe this is the first, second, third, fourth, fifth film. Uh, and their second new year movie. So again, it brings back... This was originally supposed to be the 72 Tenants of Prosperity sequel um, that was to be directed by Eric Zung and uh, the same or similar cast and crew. But um, after the Manila bus hostage incident, Eric Zung changed his mind and wanted to make something to, I guess, cheer up the people of Hong Kong, which made me wonder what 72 Tenants of Prosperity 2 was going to be. But anyway, so this, um, it became I Love Hong Kong. It became uh, a story about um, public housing estates, which is something that's very exclusive, I guess, very much a local culture, uh, which is a good uh, a step in the right direction. Um, again, Eric Zung is co-director. Uh, Jung Siu Kai, who last directed Adventure of the King, was also one of the three directors on 72 Tenants of Prosperity. Here, the instead of uh, Jackie Chan and uh, Eric Zung, uh, this year we have Tony Leung Ka Fai, uh, and Eric Zung uh, as two two people who grew up in the housing estate and all have uh, their reasons to go back. Uh, Tony Leung Kafai plays uh, a factory owner named Um Shun, um, who whose wife is played by Sandra Ng. Uh, his 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 um, son is uh, played by Eric Lee, who is he's a food and environmental bureau agent, I believe, which means they catch vendors, uh, and also has a daughter. Um, a, a young star, emerging star from the TVB talent show, The, the Voice. Uh, so the whole family has to move back to the housing estate because um, Shun's factory uh, in Dongguan closed due to the um, economic crisis. So they're moving back into the public housing uh, estate with their father, played by uh, um, Stanley Fong. Um, so the whole film is about how uh, these this family... Um, adjust to the new new life in the uh, much smaller public housing estate in their own ways. Uh, meanwhile, Eric Zhang plays uh, Mushin's old buddy um, who who left um, who left the village or did a state of a, of a huge debt and uh, kind of came back after 20, 30 years uh, in the States. Um, and and he, he starts developing a friendship with Mushin again. So again, he's thrown into the mix. So the film is also about their friendship. Um, and that's really all about it for the story. Uh, of course, the the, the the individual family members have their own storylines. Um, but uh, like Paul notes in the notes, that they they kind of um, they kind of rehashed of the stuff that you saw last year in Seventy Two Tenants of Prosperity. So I'll let Paul talk about a little more about them in a bit. But um, and as far as the story, it's very loose. Um, again, it is kind of a series of sketches uh, or, or a series of gags over a more coherent story. Um, and there's a little bit unlike 72 Tenants because 72 Tenants have a, have a kind of a clear beginning and ending. Um, you, you have the feud between uh, Jackie Chan and Eric Zung's character. You have the mystery about the, the asset, the asset floor. And then, of course, again, you have the individual plots with each character. And they all kind of come to a conclusion and they have their the beginning, middle, and end. But here, um, the individual plots are kind of skimmed over very quickly. I mean, they get maybe three, four scenes at the most, um, and there's very little character conflicts within them. They don't really, they don't really go. They don't really have much progress. They kind of start and they end. 
um, instead we we get a lot of um, individual set pieces, um, and they're very amusing. Um, there are very local references. You got a uh, Cafe de Corral becoming Cafe de Oro. You got the um, the people working there who keep saying thank you at the end. Something that you would definitely uh, recognize if you go go to these cafes once in a while. You have um, the Link, um, kind of a known evil developer slash um, manager of uh, street. I guess uh, public estate street markets who who want to throw out the local local shops and bring in the national chains. Uh, they've been renamed to Think here. Uh, you have um, the flashbacks in the in the mid eighties when everyone would go home and watch Miss Hong Kong. Again, the the, the relationship between street vendors and the uh, food environment bureau people. Um, a lot of local references and people who live here they would probably recognize them even more so if you lived in a public estate or you've been to a street market. Uh, a lot of things you recognize here um it's all very pleasant and it's amusing but um it might have something to do with the um the the, the legal troubles going on between tvb and and four major record uh companies here in hong kong is that you you kind of missing the stars here uh you got a lot of tv stars you have air air flea you got um uh, actors like sandra eng you got um tony Lum, but you kind of it's kind of missing in the pop star category because uh well many of them can't be on it. Um, even Raymond Lamb, who is actually um, TVB's kind of golden boy, is missing here for some reason. Um, nevertheless, uh, the stars here are good. Um, they're having fun, obviously, and they seem to. Uh, as, as even though the production was surely, you know, very more rushed. Uh, you know, you have the return of Stanley Fong. You have uh, Wu Ma, um, and that's kind of that's that's kind of a compensation uh, for a lack of pop stars and. And again, they're they're good here for for um, essentially commercial comedy. Um, thank God, uh, compared to Seventy Two Tenants, there's no China Saviors. So that's two things that it has over uh, Seventy Two Tenants already. And I love Hong Kong, um, but the problem is that again, story's too loose, and there's way more p- product placements than than the f- uh, previous film. I mean, Seventy Two Tenants of Prosperity, it came everywhere. It was literally flying in your face. But at least it had a sense of humor about it in the ending, at least. Uh, when when two of the, Wancho Lam and Bosco Wong kind of uh, had this solemn dance about their, their, their sponsors. Here, it's just, it's just everywhere. It was so all over the place that that TVB ought to have made enough money to make this movie free for everybody in Hong Kong already because you're essentially watching commercials while you're watching the movie. Um, but I guess that's something to be expected because um, this movie essentially has no China market and TVB needs some way to make their money back. So in that way, in some twisted, weird way, you can kind of understand. Um, the the local, I guess the dynamic in the public estates is enjoyable. But uh, again, let's face it, there's a scene where uh, a character convinces a certain group of government bureaucrats um, to become good and, and, have, and to have conscience again over some speech. But um, I can say I've run into these people, uh, these government people, and I can tell you that not everyone in a public estate or not everyone that works in government can be this nice, nor can they be, be, be convinced of a nice speech. But anyway, I mean, it's a little New Year movie. Um, it's fun. It's relaxing. It's still better than it has the right to be. I mean, look at Oswald Ensworth 2009. That really is kind of the bottom of the barrel or the worst a lazy Lunar New Year comedy can be. So the fact that I Love Hong Kong, nor 72 Prosperity, uh, 70 Tenants of Prosperity are this bad, just, you know, you got to give it credit for them doing this well. Um, 
I would say TBN, um, especially if you're if you're if you don't get these local references. But if you're here in Hong Kong, or if you're um, if you are if you're knowledgeable in Hong Kong references, and you have a family, you guys have nothing to do, and the film is playing, I recommend you to go see it in the theater, see it with the crowd, see it during the New Year holidays. I think it'll be a lot of fun with a good crowd. Paul, yeah, um, and just in case you don't know, it's brought to you by Hong Kong Airlines. Oh yes, and, yes, yeah. Uh, yeah. They let you know that several times uh, in the film, uh, especially at the end. I, I you know, I, I don't want to throw a spoiler out, but there's a scene at the end with Fala Chen, and I was like, wait a minute, wasn't she doing something else? Is I, I didn't understand that scene, but um, yeah, it's brought to you by Hong Kong Airlines, and I guess this is the ma- the first time uh, that particular company has sponsored a film. I don't know if it'll be the last time. Um, but I agree with Kevin. There's some nice focus on local culture. It starts out okay, but as these ho- as these New Year films tend to do, they tend to be you know little short stories within an overall story um, that center around a certain family. And you'd think that they'd kind of have this formula down well enough that they'd be able to tie everything up and make at least some of the stories go somewhere. It'd be interesting. They don't do that here. These stories never really go anywhere. Um, as you said, Arif Lee is a sort of a hawker control officer, and you know he runs into conflicts because they're now living in this estate building. And if you don't understand, if you if you haven't been to Hong Kong, poor people end up living in the government housing. These estate buildings, they're 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 given a subsidy, um, and people, you know, who are poor, some of them become hawkers. That is, they you know set up a little stand or a little cart. And they sell things. They'll make little noodles or food or street food and stuff. And that's illegal. They're, they're not licensed to do that. But most of them do it in the evenings, and they can make a meager living doing it. And, you know, the food's usually pretty good. Of course, there's issues with things like safety and regulation and all the bureaucratic side of it. The government's supposed to protect us. But I've eaten, you know, dozens and dozens of times uh, Hawker Street food, and I've never had a problem. So... You know, I'm not saying we don't need regulation. I'm not saying we don't need that stuff. But the idea here is that his character as a hawker control officer is now living in this place with all these people, and he has a conflict. Um, And it's just resolved by this, you know, simple speech. Um, Fala Chen is a star tutor. The education system being reformed, so her job's in question. Her plot line basically goes nowhere. Um, The youngest... Uh, I can't remember her name. The one you said was from The Voice, um, mm-hmm. you know, new, new singing star. Uh, she wants to be a Langmo, a, a, a pseudo model, um, but yet at the same time, she doesn't want to show off any cleavage or any of these things. So, you know, how how is she going to do that? That doesn't really go anywhere. You know, she meets a she meets Luke Wing, and he says, "Oh, you don't need to do that to be beautiful." Right? <laughs> um, so, very simple resolutions to these stories. None of them really satisfying. Sanderton's probably the funniest. Um, she gets more time than, than most people. You know, it's interesting, too, because we were, I was talking with someone. Sandra M has two roles in Chinese New Year films, and Louis Ku also has two roles in Chinese New Year films. And the two of them are in one film together, and then they're in two different films. And so, those two films are competing <coughs> against each other directly yeah. as New Year comedies. So it's kind of some weird casting going on. But, you know, she's she's just, you know, typical Sandra M. Um, very enjoyable, and the stuff, the, you know, the gag she was doing. 
Uh, I did like the digs at local organizations that you mentioned. Um, there's there's one extended one that they actually do against TVB dramas. So there's a little bit of self-deprecating humor with uh, the current king of uh, drama, Wayne Lai, um, which I found really funny. Um, if you don't watch TVB dramas, you might not get it. Um, quite, it might, might feel it goes on a little bit too long. Um, but it's a typical feel-good ending. Uh, the plot arc is basically exactly the same as last year's. So when you said that this was supposed to be a sequel, uh, that kind of opened my eyes a little bit. I'm like, oh, okay, I kind of see. But basically, you know, it's everybody's happy at the end. You know, shop owners are being forced out by big business, and then somebody comes along and says, hey, I'll set up this for all you guys, and I'll charge you very low rent, and you'll be able to do all this business, and it'll be great, and we'll all live happily ever after. Yay! You know, where is this happening in Hong Kong? Show, show me a place, because I want to move there. Um, it has flashbacks to old Hong Kong, just like they did in the last film. Bosco is the younger version of Tony Lang, and Wong Chu Lam is the younger version of Eric Tsang's character. Fei Fei's daughter, what's her name? Um, um, Joyce Chan. Yeah, uh, she is, uh, you know, who, who knew that she and Kate Tsui could be twins? <laughs> I, it, it, they were, uh... I was a little um, disturbed. <laughs> I was more disturbed when they were older, but that's... Oh, that's go for, with your... Oh, that, that's for people to see. Um, I think this would have been a lot better if it would have been a bit more down-to-earth. I know that it's the Chinese New Year film tradition that everybody's got to be millionaires at the end. You know, you, you look at uh, It's a Mad Mad World, those series. You know, it's always some big windfall that everybody has at the end. But I think that if they would have done it a little bit differently, if they wouldn't have gone for that very typical ending, if they would have made these stories a little bit more down-to-earth, a little bit more realistic about how people can depend on each other and get by, I would have liked this a whole lot more. Um, there's this theme, though, that living in government housing is good, right? Because it's neighborly. Um, my wife's family lives in government housing. And it's not neighborly. The, the government housing they're, they're, they're showing here is like old style. And a lot of those places are being closed down. The new government housing, um, the, the layout's quite different. My wife's family doesn't know anybody living around her. They're not all friendly. They don't all come out in the hallway and chat and, oh, how's it going? You know, it's, 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 not, it, it's not really that fairy tale esque I guess. Um, but I think they could have made it made it a bit more interesting if they were a bit more realistic and not so over the top. Yeah, I'd say, you know, TV it, uh, especially if you're not in Hong Kong. You don't need to rush out and get this when it comes out. Wait till around Chinese New Year. It's a, it, you know, it's like a Christmas movie that's not that great, you know, like Santa, you know, uh, the, Santa, all the, way. the Santa Claus <laughs> 3, yeah, or Jingle All the Way. You know, it's like if you've got... Uh, nothing to do and it's the holiday time and you want you're in the mood you'll enjoy some of what's being offered here um but if it's like the middle of the summer yeah i'd say wait how, how does it compare to uh, or how do you think it compares to 72 tenants of prosperity well i liked 72 tenants of prosperity a little bit better i mm -hmm. thought that the i thought that the gags were a little funnier mm -hmm. um and because it was their first one it wasn't as redundant I mean, this is just, there's a lot of things that are redundant. Um, you know, there's a conflict with an old romantic flame with uh, Anita Yun's character. She, in the last one, was the wife, and then there was this conflict with the two guys in that one. So 
you know, there's just a lot of very similar parallels in in it. I mean, it's different. It's not taking place in a state building, and that one it's tank, taking place on this, you know, this street in Hong Kong. Um, but it's uh, it was just too similar. I it was yeah it was it was redundant. I would say. Mm-hmm. But this one does have one great thing that kind of brought it. Like, something that kind of popped up for me is the mission reference. There's a scene that we first, and you know, it's not like Johnny Toe films are are finding uh, a new life in Hong Kong or anything. But out of nowhere, suddenly a, re- a mission reference in yeah. the middle of a movie. I loved it. Yeah. Well, it was it was particularly good because it had, um, Lam Shut. Lam yeah. Shut. Yeah. Sorry, I'm yeah. having a brain fart. Um, because Lam Shut was in it, and, and and the other guys were TVB guys, and I think one one musician. Um, but you know, the fact that he was there kind of made that scene work well. Mm-hmm. Um, but then again, if you haven't seen the mission, you'll probably look at that and go, "All right, what's going on?" You know. Um, so a lot of context in here, a lot of you know, sort of in joke references. If you're coming at it fresh from the outside, it's probably going to be kind of dull. on to West Screen. This week we're going to talk about the Disney film Tangled. Um, now this has been out for a while in the States. I actually saw it back in December. I think it came out just after Thanksgiving of last year. But it's just now making its way to Hong Kong uh, for the New Year as part of the New Year's release. They usually hold off on the Christmas animations and release them at this time because they know the students and the kids will be out of school. So, Kevin's seen it, I've seen it, so we'll talk about it. Um, Tangled tells the story, it's basically a retelling, or an expansion, a little bit of an expansion, of the story of Rapunzel, uh, the German fairy tale of old, which basically tells of a young girl who is taken uh, at a very young age uh, by a witch, or an old crone, a woman, um, Mother Gothel, who... Puts her, who locks her away in this tower, and she's not allowed to leave. And as she grows, over time, her hair grows. Now, her, in this version, her hair is enchanted, and this has to do with um, part of her, you know, her birth uh, and, and a magic flower. And in Mother Gothel's case, she uses the magic of the hair to keep herself young and revitalized. So it's a little bit of a sort of a retelling they 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 play with the fiction a little bit if you know the original story or one of the original um you know the 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 narratives of of the fairy tale um 
and it's interesting what they do with it and the, the characterizations are very disney-esque as you would expect um it's a musical and let me say i'm glad that disney's returning to its roots i really enjoyed the princess and the frog the 2d animation a couple was it two years ago i think or last mm-hmm. year i don't remember um but i really enjoyed that one and I'm glad to see Disney going back to doing musicals. I have enjoyed some of their non-musical stuff, but it hasn't been up to that standard of Pixar by you know, any means in terms of either animation or storytelling. So now they're back to doing what they did very well in the 90s, and I'm hoping that they can build upon this. And I've, I've heard that this is their plan. Um, good songs, nothing overly memorable, though. This didn't knock my socks off the way... The Little Mermaid did um, when I went out and saw that, or Beauty and the Beast, uh, or even some of the later Disney stuff like Mulan. Um, I, I can't, for the life of me, hum or tap any of the tunes in my head right now off off you know the top of my head, whereas I can do that for The Little Mermaid or Mulan or uh, Beauty and the Beast, right? Um, so I, I, I wasn't compelled to rush out and buy the soundtrack. doesn't mean the songs were bad, just, just not really memorable. They didn't stick with me. Fun characters, uh, but typical of what you might expect. Young, naive, ambitious girl, dashing, young, you know, handsome, roguish prince. Uh, no, he's not a prince. A roguish knave, I guess you'd call him. Um, some animal characterizations. There's, she's got a little chameleon companion. There's a horse, and I think the horse kind of upstaged everybody. Um, but the horse acts more like a bloodhound uh, for the most part. Uh, Maximus is his name. But overall, it's very, you know, very fun. Um, some lively moments, some great uh, supporting casts. Uh, Ron Perlman does a couple voices of some bad guys. Um, a couple of other character actors in it, uh, lend, you know, lending in some voices. So. Very entertaining. I'd say see it, especially if you're a person like me who loves cartoons. You, you know, you'll enjoy it. Um, you know, it, it's not it's not quite there in terms of you know Pixar uh, yet, but I think if they keep going this route, pursuing the musical aspect, which they already know, they've got that formula down. They know people to work with to to put these on well, um, and blend it with this new you know 3D animation that their studios have been developing in, in, you know, the past decade, I think they've got a very strong future, and I look forward to more stuff coming from them. Um, so, yeah, see it. Definitely see it if you love cartoons or you have kids. If not, if you're a person uh, who's not really into that, you might wait and TV it. But for me, it's a definite see it. Did you watch the film in 3D or traditional 2D uh, format? I believe I watched it in 2D. Okay, yeah, because I saw the film in 3D, and I didn't think anything special of it. Um, you didn't have a choice, right? Yeah, I didn't have a choice. Uh, the only thing I had a choice was Cantonese or English, so I went to English, of course. Um, but no choice in 3D or 2D. I think uh, if I want to watch the 2D version, I have to pay... Actually, no, I think it's only... I've been playing in the theater that usually plays 2D movies. Anyway, um, the, Rapunzel's, the, the Rapunzel thing, the, the hair thing, is, is pretty amusing. Um, I thought it was interesting, um, but it it didn't really, you know, for for the fact that it's Walt Disney's fiftieth animated film, you know, I don't think it was really as good as its reputation is trying to 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 achieve. Um, it was fun. It was entertaining. Um, 
Uh, I like Mandy Moore a lot uh, as the princess, as Rapunzel. Um, the songs were okay, like you said. Um, even though they weren't, you know, they weren't really memorable. Uh, I'd never seen Little Mermaid. I still hum the songs. Um, I, I can't hum any of the songs here, uh, except for that one line, you know, Mother Knows Best or whatever. Um, so, again, it's not really memorable enough to really be um, a classic. I know it's been very well received uh, in America. Um I won't say it's overrated because it is fun and it's entertaining. It's definitely not a bad movie. Um, and like you said, it's it's good to be kind of in that traditional fairy tale. Um, thankfully, no DreamWorks kind of uh, no subversive uh, elements here. Nothing that uh, nothing that suggesting kind of winking or nothing tongue in cheek, uh, except for some wisecracks. Um, but I guess that's what kids like these days. Maybe I'm too old for this anymore uh, for now. Um, like you said, very, very good traditional animation, um, except it's in 3D. Um, but I can't really get too excited about it. Um, it's fine entertainment. It's fine fa- It's for fine for families. But for, you know, casual fans of animation, uh, casual adult f- fans of animation, they might not uh, enjoy as much as, I guess, your traditional Disney fans or, or, or younger younger audiences. So, um I would say see it if you don't have to pay the 3D par- price. Um, if you only have 3D, like you're in Hong Kong, um, I would say TV it. Uh, but if you have kids, of course, uh, by all means, see it because it is new to New Year's and it's Disney animation and it does have songs and it is family friendly uh, and it's very cute. Um, yeah, so that's Tangled for me. You're listening to the East Screen, West Screen podcast. Visit Comcast.com for more. All right. Let's move on to some comments that we received from our last episode. Um, there was one comment from, uh, Matt S who was asking a little bit about, uh, the, the Chinese Odyssey films and, uh, we posted, I posted a response and Kevin posted a response up on the website. Um, I just wanted to talk a little bit about, about your thoughts on Chinese Odyssey. Um, cause I, I you know, he was asking, you know, is, is it worthwhile in terms of the overall, you know, catalog of Stephen, uh, of, of body of work of Stephen Chow stuff. I remember seeing it in the cinema and hating it when I first watched it. Um, and that was because I went in basically hoping for uh, a somewhat more, I don't want to say serious, but a somewhat more traditional take on the Monkey King characters, you know, Piggy and and Friar Sand and, and, and all those guys. And that's not what we got, especially in the first one. Um, uh, and I think I ended up liking the part two a lot better because it kind of got back towards that. But overall, I was kind of disappointed in both of them, uh, initially. Over the years, though, with repeated viewings, the humor's grown on me, um, you know, and I, I, I like them a lot more and I'd recommend them more now for people, um, but you know, what were your thoughts when for the film when you first saw it? 
Um, I just remember the the plot, the time traveling uh, section being really convoluted. Uh, is that the first one or the second film where they keep going back and forth in time and they're going to the the the, the whole the the cave and all that? Yeah, it's the first one. He he goes back in time through the mirror and um. But then at the end, he ends up going back, and the second one is where uh, he he re- he re- sort of recovers, and there's the Bull King in it, and um, you know uh, Princess Iron Fan, and and the, some of the more traditional characters towards the you know, and uh, what's his name? Uh, uh, Lokaling uh, and Lokaling and, yeah. and the, that great song. Uh, I went out and bought the soundtrack just for that song that he sang. Um, yeah, uh, there, there are definitely some individual really great moments. Like you said, the Law Carrying song. Um, again, very typical Stephen Chow humor. But um, and I love that Jeff Lau used practical effects. It was before Jeff Lau, I guess, could afford or could use um, digital effects, uh, computer effects, like he did on Chinese Tall Story and and Kung Fu Cyborg. So I'm really, really glad that even though it doesn't make the things look any more real, I really appreciate his use of practical effects. But the problem is, it's not really one of the more, um, it's not a Stephen Chow movie where you go back again and again. Um, I have vague memories of it because I haven't seen it for so long and I really haven't had the desire to see it. Um, it's so convoluted and I guess it could even weird out, you know, most fans of contemporary Stephen Chow films. His production design is kind of strange. Um, you know, I would. I, and of course, I still like it. I still like it because it is a Stephen Chow movie and it is a good Stephen Chow movie. Um, again, a lot bigger in mainland China than this here. Um, I'm, I'm sure there there are fans of it here, but apparently parts of part two are like quotes are really huge in China amongst um, my generation. Um, I would not recommend it for someone who's trying to get into Stephen Chow. Um, this is more like a film that you would enjoy after you've been, become a fan of Stephen Chow's uh, brand of humor. Um, both this and um, the horror one, the one about him hunting ghosts, the one that he made right after Chinese Out of the Dark, Out of the Dark. Yeah, both are kind of not not so traditional Stephen Chow movies. That 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 was when he was taking chances with his films, and they were really risky films compared to what he's done before. So so obviously they're not for people who are trying to look look for Stephen Chow or trying to trying to uh, get familiar with Stephen Chow films. But if you're into Stephen Chow films already, you want to see something a little different than his watching comedies. Um, these are very interesting films. Also as kind of modern 90s fantasy. Again, use practical effects. Uh, very, very interesting. Kind of reminds me of Trey Hark and um, the old Legend of Zoo, the old Zoo War movies. Um, but no, I, I wouldn't... I hesitate to not call it one of Stephen Chow's best, but in my personal opinion, it is definitely one of the less memorable Stephen Chow movies. Hmm. All right, so there you have it. Uh, another comment from G Song, who was talking a little bit about uh, "Let the Bullets Fly," which we talked about on the last episode. 
Um, he writes that the success for this film is somewhat bittersweet for Zhang Wen because he was banned from directing for five years after he submitted Devils, Devils on the Doorstep to international film festivals. He notes the film um, won several awards, and while it was censored by the Chinese uh, SARFT, um, he says, imagine how many more films he could have made if he didn't lose that five years. Um, have you seen Devils on the Doorstep, Kevin? No, actually, I own uh, all of his movies. Uh, recently, I've gotten hand um i got my hands on 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 those films um and i look very much uh for i look forward to watching them but actually i would have to correct you someone there that um john one is probably feeling more bittersweet after um the sun also rises because actually he still calls the sun also rises his his personal favorite film of the four he's done and and it didn't not only did it not do well in china it actually Word of mouth was very bad in China because people didn't get it. Uh, I haven't really seen all of the film. I saw about the opening 20 minutes um, and it's used of magical realism. It was really much ahead of its time. It wasn't a mainstream film. It was a mainstream budget or mainstream production value film, but it's a very strange kind of non-mainstream film. And it is, again, it shows, again, why Zhang Wei is a very interesting director. Um, but he, he waited so long for After Sun Also Rises that I'm not sure how many more films he could have made between Devils on the Doorstep and The Sun Also Rises. Maybe one or two. Um, he's not a director that would rush out films. He's very much a director that seems to take his time. Um, obviously, uh, that wouldn't work as well on Let the Birds Fly, even though it was actually already pushed back once and its production was done all the way down to the last minute. Mm -hmm. um, so you could tell that John Wynn is not a very quick filmmaker. Um, of course, it is, he, I'm sure he feels it is very regrettable that he was banned from filmmaking for five years uh, because of Devil Doorstep. Um, but again, I, would, I think he's probably feeling more bittersweet um, after Sun Also Rises than Devil's on Doorstep. Mm. Uh, yeah, I've seen Sun Also Rises. It's a, it's a great film. It's not a film I think I could watch again. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's, you know, it's got very interesting characters, the way he utilizes the narrative is interesting, um, on a but on a on a storytelling level, one it's a, a film for me that once I've seen it, I'm not really compelled to go back and watch it again. Um, you know, maybe in another five years or so, I would. Uh, but I, you know, I'm ready to go watch Let the Bullets Fly next week again. You know, it's like <laughs> I'm I would be I'm more excited to see that film again. Uh, for multiple viewings, you know, for me, some films do that, and other films can be great films, but once I've seen it, I there's just something there that is enough, and it's like it, it I, I'm not compelled to see it again. Uh, and I'd have to say, for me, The Sun Also Rises falls more in that category. All right, I think that's gonna do it. Our pre-Chinese New Year show is coming to a close. Um, if you'd like to find out more of what we're doing, and hopefully I'll be posting some stuff up while I have some time over the Chinese New Year, you can visit our website. That's at www.concast.com. Um, or you can flit over to iTunes and leave us a message there. We'd love to have some reviews from you and hear your thoughts. Um, you can follow us both on Twitter at twitter.com slash foxlore or twitter.com slash thegoldenrock. 
would be for Mr. Ma. Um, or you can email us at eastscreen at gmail.com and uh, you can send along your thoughts or you can even attach a small audio file and we'll play that here on the show if you have a question or a comment. Or you can, as always, just leave us comments over at the website and we'll get to talk about some of those here as well. Uh, Mr. Ma, you're all over the web. Where else can they find you? Yeah, you can find my work, uh, my day job, I guess, over at yesasia.com in the Yumchash section. I write under pen name Rockman, um, so you can see my news stories, uh, my editor's picks, things like that. Weren't you, weren't you, uh, weren't you tweeting something about like clothing today, though? Are they going to be moving you over to the Yes style section? Oh, God, I shouldn't have done that. Now they might think I know anything about clothing. Um, no, thankfully, I'm not at... Okay, well, unfortunately, in case the CEO is listening, uh, I'm not at YesStyle. I'm, I'm exclusively still on YesAsia.com. Uh, you can also find some of my reviews over at LoveHKFilm.com. Um, I am about to turn in a review for the Japanese film Confessions, and maybe by this time this vacation's over, I might have one more done. Um, but I'll, of course, that all depends on uh, Kozo and his his whim. Um, you can also, if I ever do it again, I will probably update once more. Uh, the blog, the Golden Rock, over at loverchivim.com. I have kind of a special topic in mind, and that might raise some discussion later on. Uh, so we'll see. Um, and those where yeah, we can also find me on www.ypmovies.com.hk. I do review movies once in a while there. This week I will be reviewing Little Fockers and Tangled. All right. And look forward to reading all of the reviews of Mr. Ma on the web and listen to him say those same reviews here on our podcast. <laughs> um, all right. So I think that's going to about do it. Uh, so we will... Wish everyone out there who's listening a uh, happy Chinese New Year, whether you celebrate it or not. If you do, I hope you get many red packets, unless you're married like me, and then you'll have to be giving many red packets. But as they say at Christmas time, to give is better than to receive. So there you have it. Mixed cultures, mixed holidays. I don't know what to make of any of that. Um, but until next time, we'll wish you a happy Chinese New Year, and we'll wish you good viewing. And we'll see you then. 恭喜發財,出入平安,身體健康. See you next time, everybody. Uh, what was Kozo's comment today about confessions saying that uh, he liked it better when it was uh, the, per, the <laughs> Pearl Jam video Jeremy yeah, yeah I think he was trying to, he was trying to uh, bait bait the naysayers or, or bait the, the fanboys yeah. Yeah, so. they're, they're not really that similar are they I mean I don't know I've never seen it you've I, never I, seen I, Jeremy no it's, oh, it's okay totally- I'm sorry, this is like a totally, like, uh, people who grew up in the 70s thing that I don't know about. I'm just... <laughs> 70s? Dude, that's Pearl Jam. That's 90s. What are you talking about? I'm sorry. You're not that young. 
Good grief. <sighs> no, I never watched that video. I have to make only Daft Punk references for you, I guess. <laughs> Thank you.